Welcome to the Sunday Special on the Scope of Practice podcast, where we take a break from the hustle and grind of business and talk to real healthcare professionals about how their faith in God shapes their clinical practice. Now, here's your host, Dr. Brent Lacey. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Scope of Practice podcast. I am excited to bring you the 14th installment of the Sunday Special. Now, if you're a new listener to the podcast, the Sunday Special is completely separate from the regular Monday episodes. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous Sunday Special episodes, let me explain this a little bit for you. On the first Sunday of each month, I feature a special episode where I interview a Christian physician about their faith in God, their personal spiritual journey, and how their faith has influenced their career. Now, if you're looking for the regular episodes that we do every Monday, where we talk about strategies and resources that'll help you manage your business more successfully and master your personal finances, those episodes come out on Monday mornings. So you can join me again tomorrow, but I do hope you'll stay. These episodes have been incredibly popular, and I get feedback all the time from people telling me how inspiring and uplifting these episodes are. I mean, the guests we have and the stories that they share are just incredibly inspiring. For instance, take this review of the podcast that I just got. It says, love, love, love the Sunday special episodes. That's why I'm here. We need more stories and discussion on faith and medicine and how it plays a huge part in our patients' lives and many of us Christian physicians. Great work. Brent does a great job asking deep questions and has amazing guests. Well, listen, I really, really appreciate your guys' feedback. It motivates me to keep making this show better and better for you. So if you'd like to leave me a review on the podcast, just pull it up on your phone right now. It helps me and it really increases visibility for the podcast and the search algorithms so that more people can get this content. You know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm really glad that these episodes are becoming some of the more popular episodes on the podcast. I really think the message is resonating with a lot of people. Normalizing the Christian faith within the practice of medicine is something that we should be doing more. And I hope that these discussions will embolden you to be more open with sharing your own faith. Let me encourage you, by the way, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so, because I don't want you to miss out on the upcoming episodes. We've got some great stuff coming your way. Also, stay tuned to the end of the show, and you'll hear about the free resources I'm giving away to inspire you on your daily walk with God. This week's Bible verse is Exodus 18.21. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands hundreds, fifties, and tens. You know, quality leadership looks for and empowers other leaders. The adage, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself is nonsense. And I've learned that frankly, to my detriment over the years, you're not a better leader. If you're doing everything yourself, you're depriving those you're leading from having their own opportunities to grow. And you'll stretch yourself so thin. You can't possibly give your best at the things you're uniquely equipped to do. Leaders can help their team grow and thrive when they purposefully build up other leaders and volunteers. Hey, listen, I am really excited that we are halfway through the beta launch of my first online course, Residency Proof Your Marriage. You know, this online course is a self-directed six-week course that will help you build a strong relationship that thrives despite the stress and strain of a medical career. The online video course that we put together is going to coach you through setting expectations, communicating effectively, getting on the same page with your finances, and keeping your relationship thriving during a difficult time. Whether you're in medical school or residency or out in clinical practice, Residency Proof Your Marriage is going to help you build a thriving medical marriage. We'll be launching the final version of the course this fall. So get on the wait list now and you'll be the first to get access to this great course. This is a very 
inexpensive investment in your marriage. A weekend marriage retreat is going to cost you upwards of $1,000, you know, between food and, and registration, lodging, vacation time. And for this course, you're going to get all that great content for a fraction of the cost, and you can complete it on your own time as your schedule allows. So click the link in the podcast description or go to www.thescopeofpractice.com slash marriage course to get on the wait list today. Again, just click on the link in the podcast description or go to www.thescopeofpractice.com slash marriage course to sign up today. Well, my sponsor this week is uh, actually one of our former guests, uh, Dr. Erin Wiseman. So I'm going to turn it over to her and let her tell you all about it. Hey there, this is Dr. Erin Wiseman. I'm a fellow Dr. Podcast Network member, life coach, and mama three. I kick butt, I take names, and I help other high-achieving people do the exact same. And today, I want to invite you over to my podcast, Dr. Me First. It's well over 300 episodes, and each one is filled with inspiration and advice from amazing guests. So grab your wife, your mom, your sister, your best friend, and come tune in as we explore what it means to be a woman in medicine and a woman in this world. Because this podcast is a dose of everything that I needed when I was burned out, exhausted, and ready to quit it all. At the end of the day, I do this to help you feel more connected to yourself and to connect with others. I love to end my show with a kick of encouragement, so here's my favorite tagline. Your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you over at Dr. Me First. My guest today is Dr. Neka Unachukwu, better known as Dr. Una. She is the founder of Ivy League Pediatrics, which is a multi-site pediatric practice in Georgia. And while building this practice, she developed a love for entrepreneurship and has since built other thriving businesses as well. She founded Entree MD to help physicians like her start and grow a business. She has a successful podcast, a great business mind, and really a really interesting testimony. She grew up in Africa and immigrated to the States and has proceeded to take the medical community by storm. She's an incredible model of physician entrepreneurship, and I am so excited to share her story with you. So here is my conversation with Dr. Una. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Sunday special on the Scope of Practice podcast. My guest this uh, month is Dr. Neka Unachukwu, better known as Dr. Una. Dr. Una, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. This is this is such a good opportunity. I'm excited. Well, it's been a really fun project. When I started doing the Sunday special, well, I started really about three weeks after the podcast launched. Um, it They have been some of the most well-received most popular, most positive episodes. And I think that part of the reason for that is that there's just uh, a void of this topic. I feel like in a lot of, in a lot of cases, I feel like um, the topic of religion is almost taboo or it's almost not considered appropriate for polite conversation. Uh, You know, especially the Christian faith. I feel like it's so, so stigmatized now that it's, it's something that it's just hard to be comfortable talking about. Yeah, and I'm glad that you do that because you're right. It's kind of one of those things that's, you know, you can't talk about it. Um, there's a lot of backlash if you did, or it, there could be. Um, but then, you know, I think, you know, God is pretty cool. <laughs> and serving him is pretty cool. And I think it's a really great thing to talk about. And I'm really glad that you do what you do. Well, thanks. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. So it's uh, it definitely takes a 
uh, a certain degree of courage to come on and basically come out. <laughs> I mean, coming out as a Christian is, you never know how that's going to be received. And there's, I would say in my experience, most people are fairly receptive when I talk about my faith, or at least they aren't, uh, they aren't bothered by it in a significant way. I feel like it's, it's reasonably well tolerated, but I've definitely had people on the podcast that have had some pretty rough experiences where they just felt like they were being ostracized or felt like they were uh, suddenly they're, they lost respect in the eyes of their colleagues. So like, Oh, you're a Christian. How could you be a Christian and be a scientist? You know, that kind of thing definitely can happen. So I think having these these conversations where we can normalize uh, talking about the Christian faith, I think is really valuable for us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm excited about this. <laughs> well, well, why don't we start by uh, talking a little bit about you? Can you tell us your faith journey? How did you come to accept Jesus as your Savior? Well, so my story is a it's, it's a convoluted story, if you will. Um, I grew up in what you'd consider a Christian home, um, but my dad didn't go to church. He played golf on Sundays, and my mom was from a different denomination. So she didn't want to go to his church. So we were at home, <laughs> right? We we're the Christians in a Christian home that stayed at home on Sundays. But I always had this awareness that, you know, there was God. I always prayed, like conversations with him, but there was nothing really there. Um, and then it was when I went to college, I remember my final year of med school, I went to medical school in Nigeria. So it's the European system. So it's six years of med school straight out of college, straight out of high school. And um, I remember my last year sitting there going like, so I didn't do anything for God. I didn't serve him. I didn't build a relationship with him. I could play the piano. I never played. Like, what is this? And the next day, literally, I had the opportunity to go for a camp meeting, which is the weirdest thing from, I don't go to church. I don't do anything to, to a camp meeting. And I said, yes. And, you know, it was there that I um, formalized, if you will, my relationship with God and started actively seeking him, learning his ways, you know, studying my Bible and all of that stuff. So it wasn't really till final year of final year of med school. So how did you come to end up going to this camp meeting? And by the way, so a camp meeting, is that like a, a tent revival or like a, a big community events uh, at a church or something along those lines? Well, well kind of like a, a retreat that happened once a year around Easter. So it started on the Thursday before Easter up until, um, you know, Easter Monday. And it was a lot about the death and resurrection of Christ and how we should live for him and stuff like that. Um, and so it's very odd that I said yes, because this was in a different city. And I said, yes, I traveled with them, <laughs> went and spent five days there <laughs> and came back. Um, I'm not, Sure. I think I'd just been away for so long and it was my time. My mother is an intercessor, if you will. So I'm sure she prayed me into that too. <laughs> so did you have a friend that asked you or how did you hear about it? I So, I, you know, they did some kind of promotions about it um, in the school. So I saw that. And then I had a friend of mine who was like, yeah, you should come. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. And then I did. And the rest is history. That was many, I don't know, 22 years ago, <laughs> a long time ago. That's amazing. You know, we had a guy come and speak at our church this last Sunday. I knew him actually from when I was in high school. He was a few years ahead of me in high school, but I knew him vaguely. I actually knew his sister was in my class and he gave his personal testimony that he had had a friend just invite him to church 
one day or invite him actually to Wednesday night youth group meeting. And he just decided to go because it was his friend. And then he's decided, well, I guess maybe I'll go to church on Sunday too. I mean, the friend didn't even ask him, but he's like, you know, I wonder if it's okay. I guess it's okay if I go on Sunday too. I guess that's cool if I go. And so he just decided I'm going to go. And then he, over the next few years, he started getting discipled by some of the the men at our church and kept coming, kept coming. And for the last seven years now, he and his family have been full-time missionaries to Indonesia. Wow. So, I mean, so it's, it's amazing. I, I think that a lot of people really feel like they don't have the gift of evangelism or feel like that's not their strong suit. But I tell you what, the, the Holy spirit moves in some pretty powerful ways. And if, if all it takes is you to say, Hey, why don't you come to this camp meeting? Hey, why don't you come to youth group? Hey, why don't you come to church with me? Hey, I've got this, we got this men's prayer breakfast on Saturday. Just invite someone. I mean, it can be that simple. I mean, it just takes a nudge. A lot of times it is that simple. Um, so my husband, um, how he got saved, some, you know, there was, a, there was a girl in his class. It was her birthday. He's like, well, so what do you want for your birthday? He's like, I want you to come with me to church. He's like, I don't go to church. I don't do things like that. Well, that's what I want. And she bothered him till he said yes. He went to church. As they were going, she had him a Bible. This is the Bible you're going to use in church. He's like, I don't touch stuff like that. She's like, fine, I'll hold it for you. And now he's a pastor. <laughs> and he wedded her right? He, he, he was a minister at her wedding after all that. It's just, it's wild. You never know. That, that is amazing. You oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's it like, uh, being married to a pastor? We haven't had anybody on the podcast who's married to a pastor yet. So what's that like? <laughs> well, from, for me, it feels really normal. And I say that because I think for some reason, I just knew, like, you're a pastor's wife. And I didn't come from that kind of family. I hadn't really been around pastor's wives. I was like, what in the world? Um, but it's a, it's um, it's unique. Um, I have to donate him every Saturday when he's preparing for a service on Sunday um, and stuff like that. But, but it's been a great experience. And, you know, we we have this understanding that God doesn't just care about what we would consider the spiritual aspect of your life, right? It's it's everything. So everything I do, I, I see as ministry, right? So what I do supporting doctors and all of that, that's part of my service. Um, and that's valued in the church setting I find myself in. So it makes it really easy to, to be me because I'm not what you would consider a traditional pastor's wife, really. That is wonderful. I love that. Well, one of the things that's fun about the Sunday special is getting to hear people's personal stories and getting to hear some of your your faith background. And that's certainly a unique one. I love it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your medical career because that obviously there's a, your your faith is going to play a big role in that. So you're in private practice in the Atlanta area. So how did you come to start your own private practice? I mean, we've talked on the podcast in the last year that the the number and the percentage of physicians that are employer physicians or or physician owned practices is going way down. In 2018, I believe was the first year that the percentage went majority employed physicians. And I think a lot of people last year during the COVID shutdown started to recognize, okay, maybe that doesn't provide me the financial security that I once thought it did. 
Um, so, but you started your own private practice and now it's what, eight different centers, 10 different centers across the Atlanta Metroplex. So what motivated you to start your own practice when so many people are saying that that's not what they want? Yeah. So, so I have, I have one primary office. Um, my husband would like to have 10 and I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But I think when I started, um, it, it, I started 15 months out of residency. So my story is a story of ignorance is bliss, right? Cause I'm like, what, I'm done. You know, I've, I've worked for 15 months. I'm a great pediatrician. I'm gonna hang the shingle and they're gonna come was my philosophy. And, um, and I hung that shingle and they did not come. <laughs> That's the way that played out. And, and the reason for that is I, I was not an entrepreneur and maybe this will be great for your, your listeners is I was, I was, I'm a pediatrician, but I was not an entrepreneur and being a pediatrician is not enough to run a practice. So I realized really quickly, I was like, there are all these other skills you don't have. You're going to need to pick them up in a, in a hot minute because now you're in a position where you're going to have to use those skills. You are going to have to learn to market. You are going to have to learn to network. You are going to have to deal with all those insecurities. Um, you know, maybe like, you know, the fear of failure, for instance, you're going to have to deal with all of this. You're in a, you're in a new world. Um, so I enrolled in the school of hard knocks. That's, that's what happened. And, um, but I came to terms with the fact that every business skill is just that it's a skill, right? If I can learn to intubate babies and I can learn to do central lines, then I can learn business skills. And I started learning the skills and the practice thrived. It's, this is our 11th year. That is awesome. Oh, that's, that's really wonderful. So, all right. So you, I've got to, I've got to ask you, what were you thinking when you, a couple of weeks have gone by and you're still not filling up your clinic every day and you're going, what have I done? That is exactly what I was thinking. Like what in the world have I done? And at that stage I could have quit, right? Like I was okay with saying, well, I tried that and it didn't work and I'm out, but you know, the way it is, you've signed a lease, <laughs> right? You've credentialed with all these other places. You've, you've bought all these things. So you can't just walk away from it. So I was like, Dear Connie Henley, I was like, okay, uh, well, I guess we have to figure this out. But yeah, but I was like, what in the world have you done? So now this is really, there probably weren't as many resources back then as there are now for people who are aspiring to that kind of thing. So how did you pick up the skills that you needed? Well, well, let's start with this. What do you feel like were the biggest skills that you had to acquire in order to succeed in that first year? Well, I, I think the, the biggest thing was I had to... I was a super shy, socially awkward, introverted introvert, which does not work with entrepreneurship at all. And so what that meant is networking was not something I was going to do, right? But a lot of private practices live off referrals. So if you're not going to talk to people, this is not going to work, right? So for me, that was one of the big things I had to learn. The second thing was with marketing, I felt that was sleazy putting myself out there saying, Hey, come and use, you know, come and bring your people to, to my practice and all of that stuff. I've, i thought it was sleazy. I was really afraid of rejection. Um, so I was not promoting my business. I, you know, I just wasn't doing it. And, and I had to learn that. And then I also had to learn to build a team and, you know, I had these insecurities like, 
well, those practices over there, those are the big deal practices. This is kind of also a practice. And so I'm like, well, people won't want to work here and all the things, right? <laughs> and so I had to build my confidence as a CEO. I had to learn to network. I had to learn to market. I had to learn numbers because I look at profit and loss statements and get dizzy. Like, what is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'd, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather do a spinal tap than look at this. This is crazy. Um, and I had to embrace those things, you know, but but the confidence and the marketing, those were the, the biggest ones that because that was so that was so far away from what I was able to do at the time. So in those really low times, those are some of the times when God moves in us the most. So what what role do you feel like your faith played in those in that early those early months in that first year um, as you're working on getting going and just you know struggling? Well, okay, I have the story for you. So my fear was so bad that I would wake up in the morning like eyes open, palpitations. This is not going to work. You're not going to make enough money. You're going to lose your clinic. Da 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 da. Like palpitations. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, I'm not old enough for this. Like I'm too young. <laughs> I'm too young to be waking up at six o'clock in the morning. The first thing I have palpitations, and I'm feeling all the cortisol and all that stuff go through my body. I was like, I was like, you need to figure this out, or you need to go get a job. But this right here is not working. And um, I remember I was like, okay, so I have to control the way I think. I have to control this fear. I have to figure it out. So then I went to, to a life story. I went to Deuteronomy 28 and pulled all those verses, right? Like you're blessed in the city, you're blessed in the field, you're blessed going out, you're blessed coming in, the blessing is chasing you, overtaking you. I'll make everything you put your hands to do to prosper. I'll open my heavens and, you know, pour down rain in his season and all of that, like one through 14, I wrote everything down. I had it in my bathroom on the wall. I had it on my phone as my screensaver, I had it everywhere. So once the palpitations start, I'll go, I was like, no, this is what God said about your business. And I'll start saying it to myself, like, I, I that's what I did because it, it was a real thing. It was, it, it, the fear was a lot. And it's funny that I went on later to do the Enneagram testing um, and I'm, I'm an Enneagram six. And it's funny, the person talking about the different types of said, So the people who are sixes, they have pre-traumatic stress disorder. Like nothing has gone wrong, but they've made up all these things. Played all, I was like, oh, so I'm not crazy. They're actually people like me. And I was waiting. Now, this is a course by Donald Miller. So this is not a faith-based course. And he said, you know, people who are Enneagram sixes, they just need to believe in a higher power. That's what they need. And I was like, well, isn't that interesting? Because that's what I did. I couldn't find the strength within myself. And I just leaned on him like, I'm going to do my best. He's going to make it work. And that's been great. That's worked great for me. Oh, that That's awesome. So <laughs> what is your husband thinking during this time? I mean, you've, you've started this new business. I'm sure you guys probably took on some degree of debt in order to do it and nothing's happening. And, you know, I'm sure that's got to be some stress and some strain, right? Well, so what we did is we did keep our overhead pretty low. And when we started the practice, I mean, it was a new part of town for me. And I, I trained in New Jersey and my practice in Georgia. So it's, I didn't have a lot of networks and clearly I wasn't building a lot of networks. 
Um, so there was not a whole lot of financial strain. You know, at the same time, I took a job at the urgent care, you know, doing some stuff. So we, you know, financially, there wasn't too much of a strain. Um, but then my husband's the direct opposite of an Enneagram Six. He's like, yeah, let's do it. And while we're at it, let's plan the second location. You know, like we're very opposite when it comes to that. And so he's like, no, this is going to work. This is, you know, and so, so he was a rock that I could lean on because we were kind of opposite in that way. I love it. Oh, that's, that's cool. Okay. I want to stay with this for a second because what you guys did and what your approach was, I will say is really not the norm. Everybody that I talk to will as almost to a man, to a woman will say, Oh, well, when you're starting up, there's just a lot that goes into it. You have to invest a lot of capital. It's just going to be a while. And you know, it's just going to be, it's just going to, it's, it's like a car payment. It's just inevitable. It's part of life. And you guys decided to buck that trend. So first of all, how nice was it to not have a huge debt burden hanging over your head? How helpful was that to have that stress be alleviated? It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And, you know, you already have the stress of the new practice. And for me, I had to develop into an entrepreneur and all that stuff. And then tagging on a financial pressure to it is just no fun. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm grateful that we didn't have to start in debt. And the other thing is when you're spending bank money, it's so much easier to spend. You know what I mean? Um, when you're spending your hard-earned dollars, you get very creative. <laughs> so um, that that's an option. You know, that's an option for people. We kept the overhead low. We, we, didn't, we didn't do it alone. So how did you guys finance it? Did you just have savings saved up or you just just got a super, super low lease and just cash flowed your, your early months. Yeah. So we, we started off with, um, enough space for one doctor. Um, so I had, you know, three exam rooms, office space, lab space, kitchen area, you know, that kind of, that kind of arrangement. And so our lease was not super expensive at all. And I'll tell you this, actually, when we were looking for this space, because this was crazy times, we we signed our lease in at the end of April. I had a two-year-old and a four-month-old, okay? <laughs> this was what was happening. And I remember when we started looking at spaces, someone had said, a real estate agent was like, oh, I have this beautiful space. It's right by the hospital. It, it, there's a lot of foot traffic, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, great. I didn't know anything about real estate. So we go to look at the building. It's empty. Like, it's just walls. And I'm looking confused. Like, oh, well, how is this building nice? She's like, oh, it's a vanilla shell. You can build it out to whatever you want. So it's like 6,000 square feet. They're like, it'll cost you about 120 per square foot to build it out. I'm like, for something I'm leasing? Like, what are you guys talking about? You know? And I, because I, I, I don't like build outs. I like finished things. So <laughs> my husband loves building outs. I told you we're opposite. And so when we left that place, I was like, Lord, there has to be a place that a doctor moved out of that is already built out that I can lease. That's what I want. I don't want to build anything <laughs> except I'm building my own property. And, you know, at a, at a point when I can handle it, I'm already dealing with, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't want to add a building to it. So you know what? We found a place an OBGYN had just moved out from. It didn't even need paint. Nothing. And that's where we got into and he had moved out of there and moved to another suite in the same building that was six exam rooms. And so three years later, he moved out. So we moved our practice to the bigger space and then eventually bought that building. 
Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's that's amazing. <laughs> well, that's, that's Deuteronomy 28 just coming right down on you right there. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So how long was it before things really started to take off? So within six months, we were at the place where the practice was paying for itself, not a salary for me, but it was paying for itself. And then from then, it, it just did better and better and better. And, you know, like e- even last year, so last year is 2020, I'm in the midst of a pandemic. I'm so grateful. Um, we did a little over what we did in 2019. Um, so six months was when it started paying for itself. And it's just been it's just been getting better since then. So if you had it to do all over again, if you're talking to the, the Dr. Una from back then, what things would you tell her that you would do differently now, knowing what you know now? What would I tell her? See, that, that's a little tricky. I'll tell you why. Because if I knew what I know now, I would have started it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's why I said ignorance is bliss. I would not I I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I wouldn't have done it. But I I would have told her your your fears are not valid. Nobody's nobody running a better business is better than you. They just know things you don't know and they're doing things you're not doing. So if you can figure out what they know and you can do what they're doing, you can have the same result they're having. And I I was so introverted that I didn't really build a lot of relationships. Um, I didn't network. I didn't collaborate as much. I would have told her to snap out of it. Like, (laughs) Well, that kind of gets us to that imposter syndrome I've heard you talk about um, on your, on the Entree MD podcast and with some of your, your, your blogs and your other content that people oftentimes don't start a business or don't choose to become an entrepreneur because they, they have that imposter syndrome. They just don't feel like they have something to add. Like, well, who am I? You know, I, I don't know stuff. I mean, all these people are, have been doing it for so much longer. They're so much better. So that is a, clearly a limiting belief that we have to overcome if we're going to go into entrepreneurship. How do you coach people to overcome that? Because you've had to do that in your own life. Yeah. So, you know, there are many thought processes as, as to how people do that. And I've looked at what I've done. Some people have, you know, they're like, well, we fix the thoughts and then we fix the actions. But in, in my, what I've done in my life is I've dared my fears and with the imposter syndrome, I've done what I should do. And then I see the results. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not half bad. <laughs> like, to be honest, in my life, that's been my experience. So when I see things that would make me nervous or like I can't do that kind of stuff, I see it as an invitation and I go do it. I'm like, well, looky here. You know, I got it done. Um, another thing I do is I'm really, really, really in tune with a 90-year-old version of me. I, I think about it. I'm like, say I'm 90 and I don't have the gift of a lot of time. And I don't have the gift of a lot of energy. And I'm, am I going to look back at the 42-year version of myself and say, oh, yeah, you should be afraid of that. Don't do that. No, I'll be like, girl, that is not that serious. Go get it done, right? Like I think of things I didn't do in high school because I was afraid. I'm like, what was wrong with you? Like there was absolutely nothing to be afraid of. So when I'm 90, you know, whenever I die, I want to die happy going like I did it all. I became everything I could be. I did everything I could do. I had everything I could have. 
And when I look at that, I know that I don't have time to play around with. I don't think I can do it. Like, I just don't have, the, we're, we're burning daylight here. I don't, I don't have time for it. You know, I did this practice of writing what I want read at my funeral. I know it sounds so morbid, but it's, it's very empowering. And I was like, I want them to say this and that and that. And when I was done, I was like, well, if you want all that, you need to get to work. <laughs> you don't have enough time to make all this stuff happen. You know, and it kind of puts things in, in perspective. But I, but I don't wait to feel a certain way to do anything. Like, I'm like, we'll do it. I've seen that um, that's that um, that tactic used where you write your own eulogy. Uh, you know, what would you want read at your funeral? And so there's there's something really valuable about having that written down in black and white to say, this is what I want. And then all of a sudden you look at it and you're like, okay, well, this is what I want. So nothing I'm doing right now is going to get me to there. So what needs to be true in five years that isn't true now? Exactly. So for someone who is out there and they're listening to this and they're thinking, okay, all right, neck has got something. She has tapped into something. I have, I am where she was back then. I really, I feel like my business is stagnating or I feel like I'm, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not sure how to branch out. I'm not sure if, you know, I'm not sure if I want to stay in medicine or if I just need a better version of what I'm doing or, or what, where, how does that person start to turn those things around? Um, I think the the first one of the first things is changing changing the environment, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Like, I speak English because I grew up in an English speaking country, and it's not because I made a decision I'm going to be an English speaker. This happened by default, and in the same way, um, if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, one of the best things you can do for yourself is put yourself in the environment where successful entrepreneurs are. Just by being, and that doesn't mean you're not going to have to do things, but just by being in that environment, as opposed to where everybody's complaining that nothing works and all of that stuff, you start to think different. You start to show up different. You start to dream different. You have to change your environment. Now, some of those places could be places you can find. I'm sure there are groups on Facebook and all of that stuff. Some of them will be places you have to pay to be in, and that is fine. Um, and the other thing is you want to do some kind of immersion, right? So some part of the environment is the people you can meet, but some of it is people you won't meet. So for instance, someone's listening to this podcast and they're being inspired, right? But what if you were listening to podcasts every day? What if you were listening to autobiographies of successful people every day? It changes the way you think. Um, so that's the first thing is the environment. The second thing is, you know, um, there's a lot of fear, um, especially in the medical space we find ourselves in now. Um, private practices don't work. You know, hospitals have bought off everything. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're doctors. We're not suits. We're, we can't be entrepreneurs. Those are all lies. And those are all fears. And you have to start daring your fears. You have to start treating yourself like, you know, you're into skydiving and stuff like that. Like the things you're afraid of, do them. Embrace it. Most doctors are scared of promoting themselves. Well, I mean, what if you what if you looked at it differently? For instance, I'm a pediatrician, and for the longest time, I I saw every non-vaxxer because I thought it was our fault. Because when everybody was spewing stuff about vaccines are bad and all that, all the doctors were quiet. 
right? They were quiet. And the person with the loudest voice wins, you know? And so sometimes when we don't promote ourselves, well, we're not helping anybody because <laughs> they don't know where to go. We're not showing up, you know? So, so you embrace stuff like that. And if you're an entrepreneur and you won't market your business, it's going to be the world's best kept secret, good as it is. So let's channel some of that philosophy into some practical action now, because I, I love that. I love that concept, daring your fears. I'm going to, I'm going to have that tattooed to my neck. That's fantastic. Um, so what are some simple daily business habits that people can get into where they can, they can take these concepts of, of being courageous and not wanting to waste time and just seizing the day. How can they channel that practically into daily actions that will translate into a consistent growth trajectory for their business? Yeah. So let's take a private practice, um, for example, and especially the times we're in, right? So we're in the middle of a pandemic, if you will. Um, so one of the things that you can do is this is the way we've always done things because we're in times that we've never been in, <laughs> right? So you're going to have to do a lot of different things. And so what that means is, for instance, someone who has a private practice, one of the things you're going to have to do is you're going to start embracing practices that are not, they're not normal for private practices. So for instance, you say, my volumes are down right? Which is something a lot of people experience that my volumes are down. What do I do to make my, to, to fix this? So number one, there are people that come through your doors every day for everyone who comes through your doors. Are they leaving with an appointment? Cause if they're not leaving with an appointment, then you're not helping your practice to be busy three months, six months, nine months from now. Number two, you have a list. So, you know, all the people who are overdue for appointments, when was the last time they were called? Hey, Mr. John, we see that you're overdue for your physical. I can get you in at Tuesday at 3 p.m. Does that work for you, right? And you, they should know. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> you have to go get them, right? During the pandemic, I actually had one person, their only job was to come to work every day and call everybody and get them on that schedule, right? Number three, well, we collect all these data from our patients and emails are one of the things we collect. When was the last time you sent an email to your to your patient base to say, hey, guys, we're open. Come, This is when you're due for your appointments or it's pollen season. So, you know, asthma's acting crazy. Come get your checkup. Like when was the last time that, you know, that you did that um, for? Um, are you doing social media? Right. Oh, I don't. I'm not about that social media. But but this is the this is the deal. Um, we are in an attention economy, Right. How are you going to get your people to come into your office? You get them to pay attention, right? Now you have 3.88 billion Facebook users every day. So guess where their attention is on Facebook. So you need to go there and go get their attention, right? So social media, are you using it? If you're not, you should. Now for a lot of doctors, all of these things may be things that maybe they have reservations about. Um, you know, maybe they're like, I've never done that before. It's for millennials, all of that kind of stuff. Well, we can't do that anymore. The landscape has changed. We have to change. We have to embrace it all, all of it, right? So some of that may be scary, but we have to do it. And we may also have the thought, well, this is not going to work. Every practice just has to suffer. It is what it is. But the truth of the matter is we're entrepreneurs. Uh, we pivot, we do, we adapt, we develop new things. We make it work. We give our best effort to make it work. 
that's who you are now. Well, and as physicians, I know one of our tendencies is to want to do everything ourselves. We feel we have this great sense of personal responsibility. We, to a certain extent, have egos we have to deal with. And so we either feel like we have to or need to or should do everything ourselves because we don't trust anybody else and no one else is going to do as good a job and no one else cares as much as I do, but it's impossible to do everything yourself. So what are some ways that we can leverage our team members to achieve some of these goals? How do we start to delegate some of those responsibilities? Well, so that's a great question because in the beginning, delegation was something that was really hard for me because I'm like, one is that I'm able to do a lot of stuff. Like if you put me on Canva, I can give you some really mean graphics. I can do, I can do all the things. And, and then, you know, I'm like, what you did is not as good as I did. I don't want to deal with it. But the truth of the matter is in the, in the world of delegation, B work is great work, right? If someone does B work so you can do higher level A work, <laughs> then it's a good deal. Um, so what, what I started to do is, um, Anything that anybody in my office can do, I don't do. Anything. If there's anything they can do, because I'm the bottleneck for my business, right? When I get better, my business gets better. If I'm functioning at the highest capacity, my business is better. When I'm doing something someone else on my team can do, I am being a bottleneck. And that's just the truth. So if there's anything they can do, I don't do it at all. And, but then again, as I said, it was, it's not a, it's not a, it's not something that comes to me naturally at all. So when I do my to-do list for the week, um, once I'm done with it, then I go through it line by line. I'm like, what is on here that anybody in my life can do anybody. And if it's there, I get rid of it. I don't do it at all. And, And it's, it's a learned skill, but you can learn it. And, and with my staff, this is funny, when the pandemic started and everything changed, I realized I was going to have to start, we were going to have to start doing a lot of new things. And so I called a staff meeting. I'm like, so guess what? Um, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and your positions no longer exist. And I kept quiet and I let it sink. And they're like, did we lose our jobs? And then I said, so this team, I don't need this team anymore but I am looking for a team and the job description of that team is whatever it takes. So if you are willing to do whatever it takes, you're hired, (laughs) right? But if you're going to sit here and tell me, well, this is not my job description. This is not what we did last year. Last year doesn't exist. We're like technically in a whole new century, (laughs) you know, and I did that. So it would make delegating easier for me. Right. So nobody will say, well, this this is not on my job description. This is not what I've always done, because I'm like those that doesn't exist anymore. We're in a whole new time. So how did that meeting go? I imagine that was kind of stressful initially. But uh, if you have the right team, they they'll step up to the plate. So how did that go for you? Well, well, they know my heart. They know that there's no way I was coming to fire all of them. Like they, they know that because like, one of the things I talk about with my team is they're all aware to a certain level of what, how their job makes the business profitable. Because I'm like, listen, you have to be thinking about serving and earning because I never want to stand in front of you guys and say, we can't make payroll. I don't want to do that. Right. So, so they knew my heart. So they're kind of like, what is she doing? But it was not as stressful as it would have been if I was a a suit they never see. And I walked in and said that. So yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I want to stay with this for just a second because I think it would be very easy to gloss over something that you just said, but but I really want to hone in on this because I think this is a really key point that is critically important for any physician leader, any business owner to understand is that you need to be investing in your people so that you have the capital to spend at exactly the moment that you need it. And so that meeting would have gone very differently for you if you had not spent weeks and months and years loving on them, paying them well, promoting them, teaching them, coaching them, investing in them, serving them, helping them advance. That that time that was spent is in one sense, it's not going to show up on the balance sheet as a net positive, but it is critically important by way of trying to multiply the value and the utility of everybody on your team, get everyone to perform to their best level. That is both good for your relationship. It's good for the person on an individual level and it's good for the business, but it's that time invested up front for months and years ahead of time that gets you to the point where you found yourself last year. Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right. You know, you you build up that tank so when you make withdrawals, they can handle it. <laughs> so, for for someone who's out there that's maybe in the same boat as you, you said you're an introvert's introvert, uh, or you know, people are they feel like they're they don't know how to network or you know, they you know, they don't know how to go find people or get that support system. What are some of the strategies that maybe you used or that you recommend in your your coaching platform uh, for for collaborating with uh, either influencers or, or other business owners to help you grow a business or, or networking with other physicians to help you grow your practice? What are some strategies you would have for folks? So the first thing for introverts is to reframe that whole thought of being introverted. Um, because I was like, I can't network, I can't speak, I can't do any of that because I'm an introvert. And really, I'm, I am an introvert. But what that means is I draw strength from solitude. That's all. It doesn't mean I can't be a great speaker. It doesn't mean I can't network. Those are skills. They can all be learned, like all the things we learned in medical school. So, you know, after this, I may go take a long walk because I just want to be by myself. You know what I mean? I enjoy my own company. And, you know, if I'm in a big meeting for a long time, it tires me out. I'm an introvert. But this the skill of, of networking, for instance, is a skill. Which means, what do you need to do when you network? Well, first of all, if you go to a place where there are people, you don't hide at the back. <laughs> you walk up to the front, you say hi to people, you smile at them. If you smile at them, they'll have to smile back. You reach out. So pre-COVID, we say you reach out and shake their hands. Now, maybe, I don't know, elbow bump or something like that. You introduce yourself. Nobody knows you're scared. Nobody knows you're shy. You introduce yourself, Right. And then you remember that people are tuned into one station, WIIFM, what's in it for me? So you never walk up to someone to go get. You walk up to someone to go give. They're thinking about themselves and all of that stuff. They're not thinking about you. They love to talk about themselves. So, hey, how are you doing? I see you're, you're at this event. Do you work at XYZ Place? Blah, blah, blah. Initiate conversation. Practice it. Practice it. You know, and then you know, follow up and stuff like that. But it's a skill. It's not a personality trait. It's not, if you're an introvert, it doesn't mean you can't be good at it. You can learn it. In the beginning, it will feel weird. It will feel scary. But the more you do it, the more normal it will seem. So I'm an introvert, but I have a podcast with over 125 episodes. 
doesn't make any sense. I shouldn't be good at speaking, but I've learned about speaking and I practice and practice and practice. So when you think about our medical training, there are very few people who are like, yay, I'm so excited to do my first spinal tap, right? Usually like, it's my first one. Am I going to poke the spine? What am I going to do? Da, da, da. But nobody lets you off the hook. That's the beautiful thing about our medical training. You are going to do that spinal tap. And this is your logbook. You're going to do 40 of them, right? And all of that stuff. And by the time you do 40, you who couldn't do it before or you who was nervous before, all of a sudden you can do it confidently. It's the same thing with any business skill. Networking, speaking, marketing, um, you know, building a team, the whole nine yards. You can do it. And you're a physician, which means there's evidence that you're very good at building skills. So nobody can tell you can't do you, you have a degree <laughs> that proves that you are great at building skills. Every business skill is just that. It's a skill. Well, that's great advice for anybody really of any stage of training or their career. Well, as we wrap up, I always like to ask folks, do you have, besides maybe the Deuteronomy 28 passage, do you have a favorite Bible verse or a favorite Bible passage that has influenced you in a major way? I have a lot of different ones for different phases, but how about, you know, with, with the pandemic, um, I'll, I'll tell you the one from the pandemic. Um, I always used to read Isaiah chapter 60, verse one, um, arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen on you. There's darkness over the earth, gross darkness over the people, but the Lord is risen over you. And I'm like, okay, I don't see gross darkness anywhere. Everything looks cool. Till the pandemic hit <laughs> and i was like i have not seen this level of darkness ever but how reassuring that in the midst of that darkness his word to us was arise and shine your light has come yes i'm not denying there's darkness over the earth there's gross darkness over the people but the glory of the lord will be risen on you and so what that made me do was in the midst of all of that i was like you know what this is chaos, but I'm choosing to believe God's word and I'm going to be exempt. So that was my scripture for 2020. I love that. That's a good word. Well, uh, Dr. Una, if people want to connect to you and want to continue the conversation, want to learn more about how to bootstrap it, how to become an entrepreneur, how to you know, do the same kinds of things that you did and have been incredibly successful with, how can they do that? Well, so um, they, you're, you're listening on a podcast now, so um, you can head over to the Entree MD podcast. So that's E-N-T-R-E, -E, M as in Mary, D as in David. Um, and, you know, there are two new episodes every single week. Um, and then you can find me on my website, EntreeMD.com. And if you're like, I really, really, really want to develop this business thing, then we have a school we developed called the EntreeMD Business School, um, exclusively for physicians who want to build thriving businesses private practice or not. Oh, that's excellent. Well, she is Dr. Una. Make sure you go check out all of her great content at entreemd.com. Go check out the EntreeMD podcast, especially. It's fabulous. And uh, you will not be sorry that you had to listen to that. So uh, we're going to say goodbye to Dr. Una. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today on the Sunday special. I know people have been blessed from hearing uh, from you today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for doing this. I'll just say that it takes a tremendously powerful God to move someone out of indifference and into fully passionate followers of him. 
Dr. Una's story isn't unique, but it's nonetheless awe-inspiring to me. And I hope that was inspirational for you too. Her life and her story is proof that God works in powerful ways. And if you thought God wasn't paying attention to you, let me tell you that Dr. Una definitely disagrees. And so do I. God wants your attention. He's got so much to tell you and so much to do with you. But we have to put down the distractions and just be still and listen. I hope this episode encourages you to remember and believe that God still speaks. Well, to further encourage you this week, I have a free resource for you. It's a devotional series called The Body of Christ. You can download it by clicking the link in the podcast description on your phone or on your computer. This is a devotional series I wrote with a medical theme. You know, the scriptures speak of the church as the body of Christ, and we see analogies of a person being a hand, meaning they're a healer, or someone else is a mouth, and they speak the good news of Jesus to others. Well, that's the idea behind this devotional series. All the devotionals have a medical theme, and I think you'll really get a lot out of it. It's a 14-day series, and I want to give it to you for free. No strings attached. Just click the link in the podcast description, or you can download it from the show notes at www.thescopeofpractice.com slash special 14 Hey, also, if you want to contribute to this series and write some of the devotionals, please let me know. Authors get full attribution and will tag your, your blog, your podcast, your personal business. So if you want to contribute, if you want to inspire and encourage people, you can email me using the link in the podcast description or at www.thescopeofpractice.com slash special 14 Thanks so much for joining me on the Sunday special today. Remember to go to thescopeofpractice.com slash sundayspecial14 to download the free devotional series, The Body of Christ, or click the links in the podcast description on your phone. I'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow for the continued weekly series of the Scope of Practice podcast and for the next Sunday special on the first Sunday in August. Trust me, it's going to be a fun one. You're not going to want to miss this one. And now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could possibly imagine— be all glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Scope of Practice podcast at www.thescopeofpractice.com. Before we end, don't forget to go hang out with my friend, Dr. Erin Wiseman, over at her podcast, Dr. Me First, on your favorite podcast app, or learn more about how to connect with the Queen of Sass by heading to drpodcastnetwork.com slash drmefirst.